uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Glad to be back with you guys. It's been a while. I went on vacation over the weekend, so we had to delay a few episodes. But Colby, you're back, and uh, did you have a good weekend? I uh, did have a good weekend, yeah. I just kind of hung out, didn't go on vacation. So uh, I need <laughs> to do that in the near future, I guess. Sounds like a lot of fun. Well, hey, you go skiing all the time. You, you've had more vacations than me since we started this. So I, I had to get away just for a little bit. Yeah, ski trips. The, I need a, a relaxing vacation. Me and the wife need a relaxing because skiing is like you drive up there, you get in late, you wake up the next day, you ski for seven hours, you go to sleep, you wake up the next day, you ski for seven hours, then you've got the 10 hour drive home. So it's not a relaxing vacation. It's a go, go, go vacation. So uh, maybe our anniversary is in about a month in the middle of June. So maybe we'll do something middle of June, some, some sort of relaxing something where we're not on our feet all day. There you go. See, I've always been more beach than mountains because I like to just lay on the beach and do nothing. Like that's that's my idea of a relaxing relaxing vacation. So you hey, need some of that. Yeah, we're opposite. I'm I'm more of a mountain guy because I like to go do things. Man, I get so bored. I'm I'm just I'm, I have a restless personality. I need to be doing something. So <laughs> I'm, I'm a mountain guy, but every so often I need to take the wife to just relax. Yeah, for sure. We got a lot to get to. Before we do so, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate their partnership as well. And Colby, uh, OSU announced that the uh, stadiums and arenas moving forward are going to be completely full. So there's going to be a lot more people in Stillwater uh, attending baseball games, softball games, uh, the, the regional that's coming up at Karsten Creek. So everyone needs to head over to Chris's University Spirit. We appreciate them sponsoring the podcast. And that was kind of a wild decision over the weekend, Colby. Just, hey, we got a big game three in softball. Let's just open it up to everybody. Everyone who's welcome, let's let's be loud and try to beat OU. Yeah, I mean, the timing was nothing short of coincidental. Uh, I mean, you have <laughs> essentially a de facto Big 12 championship game being played on Sunday at the softball stadium. And it was either late Saturday night or I saw it early Sunday morning, the announcement that they were going to let us uh, pack the stands. And hey, you got to do what you got to do. So got some good fans out there. And the softball series this weekend was unbelievable. I know we'll get to that, but it, it'll be interesting to see what O'Brate looks like with some stands. And you got George W. Bush coming next week. So uh, just a lot of good things, a lot of fun things happening in Stillwater. Yeah, let's let's just go ahead and start with softball. Obviously, they, they hosted Oklahoma. You mentioned it was de facto Big 12 championship series. OSU takes game one, and you're thinking all of a sudden, wow, Oklahoma has been this national juggernaut you know seemingly unstoppable freight train they might not even win their own conference with how great osu's been this year and it was a great series ultimately osu comes up short losing game three um 11 to 8 but man i can't say enough good things about kenny gajewski and what he's done since taking over osu softball i mean it's been you know she was decent before he got there but he's really elevated them to a basically a top 10 level sitting over the last two, three, four years. And uh, it looks like they're poised to make another run to the women's college world series. And man, they, they gave an all time Oklahoma team a real scare. So uh, credit, credit to Oshie softball. Yeah, they did. And uh, awesome. The bromance between Gajewski and Boynton is awesome. It's, it's the bromance that we didn't know we needed. <laughs> and Stillwater was the men's basketball coach and the softball coach. Uh, but that was awesome with Boynton going in the dugout Friday after they got the win. And, you, you know, you get the big win Friday. And I actually had lunch with my mom Friday. Huge OSU fanatic. She goes to everything, watches everything. She texted me at 1035 last night. I was like, you watching Houston Moral pitch right now? 
like, mom, it's 10. I've been up since 5 a.m. I, I was in Tulsa all day. No, I'm not up watching Houston Moral Pit <laughs> at 1035. So, um, and, and we were talking about it, and I was like, you know, even if you could get one of three, that's a huge win because what Oklahoma State softball needed, Oklahoma State softball needed to know that it can beat OU because we didn't know that before Friday. Carson, it had been more than a decade. It took about 10 years and one week for Oklahoma State to beat OU in softball. 10 years between wow. wins. That speaks to how dominant Oklahoma has been, has been and how average Oklahoma State was for much of the 20 teens. Now, Kenny Gajewski has things moving the right direction. Oklahoma State gets the big win on Friday. But what really impressed me, Carson, that game on Sunday, Oklahoma State just shot itself in the foot so, so bad. And I believe it was the second inning with all of the defensive fielding errors, just bobbling balls. And it kind of seemed like the pressure got to him a little bit. It's It's been a day or two since Oklahoma State's played for a conference championship in softball but I really thought at nine to one that there was a good chance that Oklahoma State rolls over and dies and OU run rules them and that's not what happened I mean Oklahoma State put up a serious fight they scored I think six runs in the third inning uh had a chance to get some more didn't work out that's just how it goes and they ended up making a serious game out of it so I have nothing but respect for Oklahoma State softball for the way they battled against OU this past weekend and hopefully Carson, we could see those two games, uh, those two teams, pardon me, in another three-game series here in a few weeks in Oklahoma City. That would be awesome. And to your point about them coming back and the fight that they showed, I mean, Gajewski afterwards said he felt like, he said, quote, we felt like we outplayed them, to be very honest. But when you make four errors and give up six or seven unearned runs, that hurts. That's really, that was the story of that game. But they did outplay them in that game for the most part. They did win the first game. And I just loved Gajewski's approach to this series. He pulled no punches in the lead up. He basically kept saying, they have what we want. We want to go take it from them. They have what we want. I just love that approach. And that's the approach you should have. Like, yes, they're Oklahoma. Yes, they're dominant. It's very similar to the football programs, to be honest. I would love to hear Mike Gundy say, oh, you has what we want. They win the Big 12 title every year. We want that. We're going to take it from them. And that was the approach that Gajewski had. It didn't work out, but damn, they got close. And uh, I, again, just he's building a remarkable program there. And again, just a brilliant hire again by Mike Holder. I want to reiterate that too. Like I remember the day they hired him. I thought this is a great hire because obviously he had learned under Tim Walton at the University of Florida. Well, who was one of the best programs in the country? University of Florida. They were in the World, Women's College World Series every single year. And Mike Holder didn't care that Gajewski was an OU alum, which was interesting. He played baseball at OU. He coached under Patty Gasso as a graduate assistant. Again, just another, I think it's very worth reiterating, Mike Holder made an outstanding hire in softball. Now all of a sudden their program's one of the best in the country. So again, Mike Holder deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, he absolutely does. He's been unbelievable with some of these hires and, and it's just, it's nice to have so many things to get excited about. It seems like every week, one of these other spring sports is popping up and making a splash. And we've got a lot of things to be excited about as Oklahoma state fans. It was women's golf dominating, setting records at the big 12 championship. And then it was men's golf winning the big 12 championship. And then we had the Walker cup this past weekend. Now we've got softball. We had the no hitter from Justin Campbell this past weekend. First no hitter in 40 something years for Oklahoma state. And then uh, we had the Bedlam baseball win last night. It's just, there are so many good things going on right now. And it comes down to, to the coaching hires. Whenever you look at Bratton and Holiday and Gajewski and Boynton, all the excitement surrounding the basketball program, it's Oklahoma State has a very stable group of coaches right now who are doing a great job. And it really makes being an Oklahoma State fan fun pretty much year round. 
Yep, they're they're a great athletic department. They really are, and it's it's fun to watch. And you mentioned the baseball. OSU takes Bedlam last night in Tulsa, the final Bedlam game of the season. So as much as OSU struggled in the the three game series against Oklahoma, they end up winning you know three out of five this year against against Oklahoma. So Josh Holiday's stellar Bedlam record stays above five hundred. And again, I just I like baseball. I've always liked college baseball. It was a four hour game last night. I just, oh, train wreck. Uh, just baseball in general, college and MLB, just as such, there was 15 pitchers, four hours. I mean, it just, it's such a slog to be a baseball fan. And that's, that's partly why I've kind of strayed away from MLB baseball, the older I've gotten. And, but again, great win for OSU winning record against Oklahoma. Uh, I did want to bring up uh, Encarnacion Strand. This guy, Colby, in my opinion, is the best player since who? I, I have to rack my brain. Maybe a, a Donnie Walton comes to mind of recent Donnie, years. Donnie Walton was the first name that came to my mind when you said that. Yeah, I looked up All-Americans, and Donnie Walton, I think, was one of the more recent ones. There were a couple other guys that, that didn't strike, that didn't ring a bell for me as far as Incarnacion Strand. Who? Trevor Boone. Yeah, he comes to mind, too. The Boone Bombs come to mind. But man, this kid is unbelievable, and he continued that against Oklahoma. He was he was sensational once again. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was three for four last night, RBI double. But it was the pitching that was the story of the game. It's mm-hmm. sometimes these games just get so slogged down to where you can't even stay up and watch them. It's you know, I mean, OU starter last night, Carson, the starter, he made it a third of an inning. He got one out before OU had to switch pitchers. If you're wondering why there were 15 pitchers, Oklahoma State scored seven runs last night. There was only one inning that Oklahoma State scored in which they didn't draw a walk. Oklahoma Oklahoma was having a remarkably hard time finding the strike zone. Oklahoma State took advantage of it. But then Oklahoma State had some guys come in who aren't even pitchers. Noah Sifrit came in. He hasn't pitched for Oklahoma State since 2019. He ended up uh, with three strikeouts in last night's game. And then Houston Morrill made his collegiate pitching debut. I was watching some of the highlights today. He looked pretty good. He had a couple of walks. But uh, all in all, I think it was successful for uh, – for Houston Morrow, he gave up one hit, which was a solo home run, but he had a couple of strikeouts, two walks, and, uh, you know, Oklahoma State is dealing with some injuries right now, has been dealing with some injuries to the pitching staff, and being able to have position players come in and throw. Uh, the game I was at a few weeks ago when I went to watch OSU in Texas, Nolan McLean came in in that game and was throwing. It's, you know, a lot of these guys who are position players in college pitch their whole lives coming up because they were the best player on the team. They threw harder than anyone else on the team. Houston Morrill came out last night. He was throwing 89-90. Yet, you know, on his high school team, he was a pitcher. It's pretty fast in high school. Uh, so <laughs> these guys come out and do a good job. Ends up being a 7-3 to three win. And like you said, Oklahoma State goes 1-2 and two in the three-game conference series against OU, but they also played two non-conference games this year, and Oklahoma State won both of those. So 3-2 and two record in Bedlam this year. Who knows if we'll see another one in the Big 12 tournament or even further down the line i wouldn't imagine further down the line uh for ou especially but big 12 tournament you never know so uh i'd be all in for another edition of bedlam baseball because i think i can say pretty definitively uh especially if oklahoma state can get healthy with the pitching staff they're a much better program and a much better team right now than oklahoma is so i'd be all in for a sixth bedlam matchup on the diamond yeah more bedlam the better and i I love that's the way they've scheduled this now in addition to the three game series i I love that i think that's the best way to generate more interest in college baseball is by having more bedlam so yeah i'd I'd, I'd totally be down for another bedlam 
matchup in, in the Big 12 tournament. There is one more series for OSU. They host Baylor this weekend. So if you want to go to a packed O'Brate Stadium, that is certainly uh, up, up for this weekend in Stillwater. And we did have big news that you referenced earlier. Uh, I thought the pandemic ruined this occasion, but George W. Bush says, to hell with you, COVID. I'm still going to Stillwater. I'm going to throw out the first pitch. He is going to do so on May 20th when OSU hosts New Orleans. He was originally scheduled the first pitch against TCU last season, but obviously the pandemic wiped that out. But uh, Bush, apparently Colby, has a longstanding relationship with Cecil O'Brate, the, the namesake of the stadium. So President Bush coming back to Stillwater. That's, that's going to be exciting. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's uh, it's actually kind of cool. We were talking about him earlier this week on our golf podcast because he was down at the Walker Cup this past week, took pictures oh. with, Qu- with Quade Qu- Cummins from uh, Oklahoma, also took a picture with Austin Ekro from Oklahoma State. So he was down there with the college golf. Now he's headed to Stillwater to see Slowbrake Stadium and uh, going to throw out the first pitch. So that'll be a lot of fun. And I would imagine it's going to be a packed house because you'll have George W. Bush throwing out the first pitch. There's also going to be a flyover. There's going to be fireworks. It's going to be just kind of a huge celebration of the stadium and of Oklahoma State baseball, which is going to be nice because it's good to know that that was delayed and not canceled because the program deserves to be celebrated. That incredible new stadium deserves to be, I, I, I don't know if christened is the right word, but christened in a sense. Uh, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that on May 20th against New Orleans, which is, what is that, next Friday? Next Thursday, next Thursday. Probably. Thursday, yeah. No, that's going to be a lot of fun. You know, George W. is no stranger to Stillwater. I don't know if you remember this, Cole, but he spoke at uh, graduation one year when I was in college. I think it was the year before I graduated or two years before, something like that. So he's he's been to Stillwater. He probably knows where Chris's university spirit is. I will say this. In typical Oklahoma State fashion, I mean, it's it's May in the state of Oklahoma. We know what happens with the weather in May in the state oh, of Oklahoma. Next week is, um, I mean, 50%, 40%, 40%, 40%, 40% chances of rain. But all of those days are in the upper 70s, peaking at about 81. So at any moment, weather could turn severe. And Mother Nature, if you are listening, I don't know if Mother Nature listens to our podcast or not, but if you are listening, do not send severe weather to Stillwater on May 20th. The baseball program deserves to have a day to celebrate and have some fun. No severe weather in Stillwater a week from tomorrow. Please stay away, Rain. You have to. O'Brate Stadium needs this. Stay away. I'm with you there. Oh, man, that's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully, hopefully it does occur. We did have some basketball news as well, Colby. Avery Anderson officially makes it uh, known that he's coming back to school. You and I talked a lot about this. We fully expected that, but uh, Marshall Scott wrote a really good column on it on pistols firing. He, he spoke with Avery and he had a lot of good quotes. And the thing that strikes me most, he just seems like a very sensible, uh, very sensible young man. I mean, he, he had some really enlightening details on what the process was like. He didn't know he had to fill out official paperwork, but he did. So he actually spoke with former NBA stars, Jermaine O'Neal and Mo Williams. He played on their AAU teams in the past. Also spoke with Terrence Ferguson in the NBA, Tyrese Maxey as well. So Avery Anderson officially coming back, and it seems like he really uh, sought out the process, did it the right way, and was very rational about his decision and, and his deciding to come back to school. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I thought he was so candid in, uh, in what he said to Marshall. I mean, he told Marshall that his evaluation for the NBA draft came back as, you will be undrafted. 
And these are pretty accurate. I know people talk about maybe it's not all that accurate and how do you really know and stuff. In 2016, 17, and 18, 91% of players who had a first-round evaluation went in the first round. The process is also accurate when predicting a player will go undrafted. In those same years, all 30 of the players who received an undrafted evaluation but chose to stay in the draft went undrafted. Second-round selections, a lot tougher to predict. But first-round and undrafted are very accurate. And Avery Anderson got back a grade of undrafted and I think it was very candid for him to share that. He said, I kind of figured it because my season beginning wasn't all like that. But at the end, I started popping out and showing I could play. So I need, I knew I need to show more. And so that's why I'm coming back to prove to people that I could play the whole season and not just play half of the season how I did. He had to sit out a couple weeks last year. Uh, Chris Harris, who was his roommate, contracted COVID. And then he really got hot late in the year. As everyone remembers, the 31-point outing against West Virginia where he hit the game winner uh, from the right wing. And he just, uh, he said he could, he wants to come back and better his three-point percentage. If it jumps as much as it did from a freshman to a sophomore, we're in good shape. He shot 8% from three as a freshman. You heard that right. Your, your speakers are not messed up. He shot 8% from three as a freshman. He thought he shot 33% this last year. So I don't know that he's going to make another 25% leap and shoot nearly 60%. But if he could get that from 33 to 38, from 33 to 40, uh, I mean, that would be huge for Oklahoma State as he's going to have the ball in his hands a bunch for the Cowboys next year. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that really should excite him and his development. And the big reason he's coming back is he's going to get to initiate the offense now that that Cade Cunningham is gone. He's going to be the man at point guard. And I think you're right. He he mentioned he wants to improve his three point shooting. I think that's an area he needs to to prove he can can make it at the NBA level. And also just his his playmaking because when he got hot at the end of the year, it was a lot of isolation. I'm just a better scorer than you, and I don't care who's guarding me. I'm going to go score, which is great. And that's that's one thing that'll keep him on an NBA roster, but I think he needs to show just his playmaking ability, his, get his assist numbers back up now that he'll be dominating the ball. And so, yeah, there, there, there are definitely areas to improve. I do think he turned a lot of heads the way he played at the latter half of the year, but like, like he mentioned, he wants to do it for a whole year. And I think, I think he realizes there's going to be a real opportunity next year with the players they have coming back, with that role of Kate Cunningham needing to be filled. I just I can't wait to watch him progress because he really turned into a completely different player last year. So that, that's really exciting. Yeah, he did. And, and I mean, it seems like the sky is the limit right now for Avery Anderson. NBA draft.net actually projects him as the number 18 pick in next year's draft. So I think people uh, saw what he did at the end of the year and realized, OK, this guy can be a first round pick in the NBA. We just need to see more of it. We need a bigger sample size of him doing what he did down the stretch in the 2021 season. So I think that he'll give that to people next year. I'm very high on Avery Anderson. Just the the mental fortitude and the amount of work you know you don't obviously know exactly how hard every player works because we're not there every day we're not behind the scenes every day but i'm telling you for somebody to make as big of a leap as avery anderson made from year one to year two i don't see how you could look at that and say that that dude did not just absolutely work himself to death in the offseason to continue to get better and now that he realizes his dream of playing in the nba is so close and he could be a first round pick next year and if he plays great he could be a lottery pick next year i think that we're going to see a continued improvement from avery anderson so i tell you what carson it uh, about a year ago, I think we thought we were looking at one year window with Cade Cunningham to kind of open things up. And I think we're now looking at a program that's seriously on the rise. And Avery Anderson is going to be a big part of continuing that next year. Yeah, it's gonna be fun to watch, man. I'm, I'm excited for basketball already. We got we got a long way to go until we get to basketball oh. season. 
Uh, we do have some sad news to, to pass along. This, this kind of happened in recent last day or two. Ford Stewin, former OSU walk-on basketball player, has, is dead at the age of 29. He was an assistant basketball coach under Travis Ford, who's his uncle. I think that's why he's named Ford Stewin. Uh, dies at age 29, Colby. This is a really sad, sad story. He, he developed an infection at the end of the basketball season, had been hospitalized since Easter, and passes away at the age of 29, leaves behind a, a wife and, and child, and was expecting another child in August. So just a, a really sad story from someone who has Oklahoma State ties. A lot of former OSU players like Leighton Hammonds were, were tweeting about this. Just, man, just horrible, horrible news. And our heart goes out to him and, and his family and, and Travis Ford and everybody else up in St. Louis. Yeah, I knew we were going to talk about this, and I just I, I don't really know what to say. He, uh, 29 years old. Wife and wife and child, another kid on the way in August. I can't imagine the tragedy, and it's not like uh, it's not like something you know tragic car accident. It's not like so many cases of COVID like we've seen over the past 15 months or so. I mean, he just he had some stomach pain, went and got it checked out, had an infection, um, antibiotics that they the hospitalized the hospital induced a coma, and his body just never bounced back, and now he's he's gone at the age of 29, and I just. Um, I just can't fathom what what his wife is going through, what his family is going through. It's it's heartbreaking. I, I, what, I mean, what more can you say? It's it's yeah. tragic, heartbreaking, and um, thoughts and prayers go out to to his wife, to to his child, and his uh, unborn un, unborn child that'll be with us in a few months. So hopefully they have all the support they need because this is it's just going to be incredibly difficult. Yeah, and I I think of Travis. You know, I, I just think it's so cool that even though things didn't work out at OSU. He still wears the Remember the Ten pin every year. He wears the orange ribbon for Kurt Budke as well. And he clearly still has an affinity for his time in Stillwater. And so just I did want to pass that news along for people because he's been good to OSU even though things didn't didn't work out in the end. And, guy, you just you hate to see that happen to him and his family and the Stewart family as well. So we wanted to – we did want to address that. It's not the most um, – not the most entertaining subject obviously it's horrible but uh, I felt like we needed to to touch on it as well so our thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family I did have some football news to pass along Heartland College Sports did a contender or pretender series on all the teams in the Big 12 and lo and behold they have OSU as a contender they mentioned you know obviously the losses of Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace something we're going to break down a lot you and I talked with Adam Lunn about this he, he brought up a great point that you know, most years, the skill talent's in place. It's just a question of can the defense and the, the offense and defensive lines hold up against the better competition in the Big 12? Well, I think that's flipping certainly on the defensive side. Obviously, the offensive line still has work to do, but I think they're improving. It's a matter of the skill positions, who's going to step up for OSU. But they have them as a contender. I saw another ranking. I can't remember where I saw it, but they had OU1, Texas 2, which is a whole other topic. Uh, Iowa State three and OSU four. So I think OSU is pretty much going to be ranked consensusly in the top three to four in the Big 12 this year. Yeah, I think so too. And it's, I don't know, it's Oklahoma State obviously is in the running for second place in the Big 12. How big of a believer are you in Iowa State this year? Oh, I'm a pretty big believer. They, I thought they really proved it to me last year. You know, Kyle Porter used to come on here and scream, win nine games, Iowa State, win nine games. That's all I want you to do. They'd never done it. They finally did last year in the way they they really had OU on the ropes. Uh, 
they beat OU in the regular season. Then they really had them on the ropes in, in the Big 12 championship game. So they're they're going to be a tough out. Now, I would still pick Oklahoma, but I believe Iowa State, I mean, they're going to be ranked like 7 to 10 in the country to start the year. Do I think they're that good? No, I don't. But in the Big 12, I certainly think they're the second best team. Yeah, I think that they are the second best team going in. It would not shock me if they didn't finish second. I, I, I hope that everyone follows my, my train of thought there. Uh, Oklahoma State and Texas, I think, are lurking, and they're going to be some big-time head-to-head games. I think pretty much everyone universally. Maybe there are some, some serious fans out there who don't think so. I think most people acknowledge that OU is going to be really good, probably better than they've been in a while, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that they are going to maybe not cakewalk. Maybe they get tested once or twice, but I think that they're going to, for all intents and purposes, cakewalk to a 12 and 0 regular season record and win the big 12 championship game before they head to the college football playoff. So then that leaves us the, the next tier and the next group. And I've heard some people make the argument that Iowa state should be in their own tier at two. And then Oklahoma state and Texas should be in that next tier. I don't know. I, th- I think all three of those teams are in the same tier. I think Iowa state probably is favored over both of those teams, but I don't know, man, Oklahoma state still has a lot coming back at defense, even with the losses of Amy Ogbon, Bamigan, Rodarius Williams, Texas to me is a total wild card because we have no idea. Uh, you know, is it going to be Casey Thompson at quarterback? How good is he going to be? How good can Sarkeesian be in his first year down there? But I think all three of those teams are in the same tier. So I, I don't know, uh, what it looks like, but there's going to be some serious head-to-head matchups against Iowa State, Texas, and Oklahoma State. That little triangle of games right there, to me, is going to decide who meets with OU in Arlington. Well, for me, I'm getting a lot of 2011 Oklahoma State vibes from Iowa State. And hear really? me out. Hear me out. You know, last year, to me, was a lot like 2010 for OSU, where they they had all these emerging players, like Brandon Whedon played – became the player he was going to be. Justin Blackman wrote, uh, exploded onto the scene. And everyone came back. And Iowa State gets Brock Purdy back, their quarterback. Reese Hall is the Justin Blackman in this comparison. I don't think he's as good as Justin Blackman, obviously, but he is the star of the show coming back. They get Charlie Kolar back. Xavier Hutchinson, their best receiver, comes back. All these guys that were not expected to come back are back. And Mike Rose, the Big 12 Player of the Year on defense, is back. To me, it just it reminds me a lot of that 2010 team coming back for the 2011 season where they were already top two or three in the Big 12, and now they believe it. Now they believe that they can they can beat Oklahoma and win the Big 12. That's I'm getting a little 2011 Oklahoma State vibes out of this year's Iowa State team. Yeah, I mean, I don't totally hate the comparison whenever you go position by position like that. Uh, I'll say in 2011, there was – I mean, OU was not – what OU is going to be this year. They weren't a Goliath. And I think this year they are one of the college football Goliaths. Uh, I do think that to me, there's one glaring difference and it's that Brandon Whedon that year might've been the best quarterback in college football. And I just, (laughs) I think Brock Purdy is good. And and I think that that's what he is. I, I think that he has had some big games in his career, but man, it seems like three, four, five times a season. He just throws out clunkers. 
and particularly against Oklahoma State, he, he's thrown out some clunkers in recent years. Uh, I know that his breakout game of his career was against Oklahoma State, but there's been some clunkers since against the, the Cowboys. So I think my trust level in Brock Purdy is not high enough for me to totally get on board there. Now, if he exceeds my expectations and he is one of the better quarterbacks in college football, then I'll look at Iowa State and say, okay, this team's legit. They're in tier two of the Big 12 by themselves, but I don't know that I have enough confidence in Brock Purdy today on May 12th to say that. Well, that's the difference. That's why I don't rank them as a top seven to 10 team in the country is because I don't trust Brock Purdy either. To me, he has a lot of – he's got a lot of Spencer Sanders in him for what you just mentioned. He'll have some games where you're like, wow, this guy has has it all. He he just made plays all over the field with his running ability, his throwing ability, and he can just get get white hot – and there's other games where he just throws it to the other team the whole game, like the Big 12 championship game in the second half. He had just two of the worst interceptions you'll ever see. So that, that to me, is the outlier, and that, that's where the comparison, I'm with you, tends to fall on deaf ears a little bit, is that he's not Brandon Whedon. Uh, he's not a first-round draft pick like, like Brandon was. But to my point, though, Oklahoma has the best odds to win the Big 12 at 5-7. to seven. Texas has the second-best odds at 11-4. to four. Uh, Iowa State seven to two, Oklahoma State ten to one. So the odds makers, again, odds is when you start getting into Texas being a public team and the perception of them. That's why they're probably two, which is ridiculous because Iowa State's going to be ranked in the top ten. But I don't know. I, Iowa State also gets the the Big 12's leading sack leader from last year. Will McDonald also comes back. So I mean, they're loaded for bear. So if they if they disappoint again this year, I, I won't bring them up ever again. Yeah, I mean, this is their year. I mean, you're right about that. If it doesn't happen this year, then at what point does it happen? And this is kind of what Matt Campbell's been building up to, right? Like, it's all built up to this year. So, I don't know. And then, again, do you agree with me that Texas is a total wild card? They could win 10 games, and I'd be like, yeah, they were good enough. They could win five games, and I'd be like, yep, that's Texas. Uh, I would be shocked, literally shocked, if they finish second in the Big 12 and make it to Jerry World. Okay. That's where I'm at with Texas. I just think, and a little bit, and I've already read somewhere where people were saying like, well, if it's not this year, then Texas isn't going to get done. Haven't we said that about Texas for like the last 10 years? And especially last year with Sam Ellinger coming back, with Tom Herman's last hurrah, his last stand, he's finally going to get it done. It didn't happen. And they just have too much to replace now at quarterback, especially we all like Bijan Robinson. He's a, he's a great running back. But to me, they, they lose Osai on their defense. He was pretty much everything for them defensively. I, if they had a lot of returning players like Iowa State does, I'd be will more, way more willing to buy in on Texas this year. But I'm just not. And I, I don't buy in on them any year just because they're, they're Texas. Now, I do think Sarkeesian's a good coach, and he'll figure out the offense eventually. But I don't think he's going to figure out in year one with, with two new quarterbacks. I just don't. I, I'd be stunned if they finish second in the Big 12. Yeah, I do think that, uh, and, and this might sound contrary to some people's opinions and maybe even yours, I think Sam Ellinger moving on is what Texas needed. I really do. I, I just think that it was so much just like everybody wanted him to be the savior, and he was a good college football player, but he was never a savior. Like, he was never at that level. You know, he went out, he played hard every single game, he did everything he could to lift his team to victory, but he just wasn't uber talented like he made big mistakes in big moments and I I just think that it was time for Texas to have a reset at that position I think it's a good thing that they are able to move on now and try to get to someone else who 
maybe has that it factor because Ellinger just didn't have it to me. It's one of those things you know it when you see it. And I just watched him play, and I was like, yeah, he's a good college football player. But I never thought this is the guy that's finally going to get Texas over the top. Uh, and then, of course, he fell victim to his we're back <laughs> at the uh, Sugar Bowl whenever Georgia rested half their team for that game or didn't play or whatever the case was. So uh, I don't know. Total wild card to me. I, whenever football season gets closer and we make our predictions, I just I'm going to have to do some real soul searching to decide where I'm going to put Texas. Yeah, I just I don't think Sam Ellinger was all that talented as a thrower or as a quarterback. I think he was a great leader and just pretty gritty, could move the chains with his legs. And he was basically all they had on offense for so long. He was basically a running back playing playing quarterback. And I'm still stunned he was drafted at all. I mean, he went in the sixth round, which you know, most people are taking flyers at that point. But I didn't even think he was going to get drafted. So I'm with you. I think that'll that'll help them moving forward with a quarterback who can at least stretch the field with his arms. So – We'll have many more pods to break down how overrated Texas is. That's for sure. So I'm, I'm still looking forward to, to football season. Uh, Austin Eckro at the Walker Cup. This was a great deal. I wish the Walker Cup got more coverage, Colby. I don't have the Peacock Network, which was on a lot of the, a lot of the weekend. But the Walker Cup's such a prestigious event. It's basically the Ryder Cup for amateurs. Ricky Fowler's played in the past. Several OSU guys as well. So what a great experience for Austin Eckrod in, in the singles, the final round, the singles, he, he went seven and six, just dusted the, the, the dude from, from, from Britain. Yeah. He played just phenomenally this weekend. It was, it was kind of dicey as to whether it was going to get to go off as scheduled because food poisoning worked its way through both teams a uh, day or two before the tournament down there at Juno beach, Florida, but it ended up being a great event. Like I said, George W. Bush was down there. Jack Nicholas was down there. Austin Eckro played, great he was uh two and one on the week with the seven and six win in singles and the u.s ended up uh bringing the walker cup home i do think that there is starting to become more of a demand for coverage of lower levels of golf besides just the pga tour so i think we're going to gradually start getting more of that but like this past week every day uh the walker cup was on peacock for two hours and golf channel golf channel for three hours maybe in total when you consider the, the morning and the evening sessions but that's of a total of about 10 hours of golf that was played each day so i would have loved to have seen more but it was uh it was fun to watch on saturday in the singles matches i was watching ekrod he was all square going into 17 and the guy he was playing against hit the hit from the same bunker three times he hit it it got up onto the green but it didn't climb all the way above the hill rolled down to his feet hit it on the green didn't climb the hill rolled back down to his feet so uh, that guy kind of gave the hole away and then Ekro was able to par 18 to get the win uh in that singles match and then he just absolutely dusted the guy that he played in sunday singles and now uh got regionals at karsten creek next week monday tuesday wednesday wednesday is the final day uh, i'll be out there with my guys with the 73rd hole podcast we'll be covering that on twitter sending out as many videos of shots and stuff as we can as oklahoma state tries to make their way into another uh ncaa championship which will be played at grayhawk in scottsdale this year so oklahoma state golf looks great right now oklahoma golf looks great right now oklahoma state women's golf is doing some great things so some big golf tournaments coming up the next couple of weeks. Yep. And that's a big deal for Ekro having played in the Walker Cup. A lot of alums that, that play in that end up on the PGA Tour. So I'm excited to watch his career uh, come to an end at Oklahoma State and, and progress as a professional. So that, that's a huge experience for him. And it was fun watching him out there. And I, I can't wait for, for Carson Creek to host, host a regional. That's going to be a lot of fun as well. I think the OSU golf team is peaking at the right time. You know, they win the Big 12. A lot of their players seem to be playing their best golf at this time of year, which is what you want. So that's going to be 
a ton of fun up in Stillwater. Uh, one last note before we get out of here, Colby. Matt Damon, Stillwater. Are you fired up? I mean, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. It I don't looks know. a little, I, I wasn't expecting it to be as like creepy and uh, like more taken-y than, than it was. When I heard he was filming a movie in Stillwater, that was going to be like the, the, the down-home dad on the ranch, you know, protecting his land or something. I don't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't quite expecting the trailer we got. But I just thought it was funny to mention that Matt Damon's walking around with a hat that says Stillwater on it. Yeah, you, you mentioned Taken. My wife and I watched the preview last night, and I said, that has big-time Taken vibes <laughs> is what I got out of the, the trailer, too. So we both went straight there. I don't know. It seemed like there was, based on the trailer anyway, about 10 seconds of the trailer was devoted to Stillwater, and the rest of it looked like it took place somewhere in Europe. Were they saying Mar Marseille? Grand, is that what they were saying? Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know how much of it actually takes place in Stillwater. I'll watch it and see what it's all about. Um, I saw, I can't remember who it was the, last night that was saying they weren't thrilled with the way Oklahoma gets portrayed in some of these movies. I don't know. I thought it was pretty accurate. They had a shot of the water tower. It looked like they had him pulling up to Sonic. I, I mean, it kind of looked like still water <laughs> to me. So I'll definitely watch it. Uh, hard to form an opinion on a two-minute trailer. But when it comes out, I'll definitely watch it and see uh, what, what kind of love it shows to Stillwater. I was kind of hoping we were going to get a shot of Gundy Ranch. Like Matt Damon hangs out with Gundy and, you know, hunt snakes and stuff for, for right. a few hours, but alas, anyway, I thought that was a funny note. Uh, anything before you want to get out of here? Do you want to mention the disaster that was Oklahoma uh, state championship golf? You were up there. Uh, I want you to get, I want you to vent a little bit, man. So we went up yesterday to Forest Ridge in Tulsa for the 6A, final round of the 6A state championship. And Edmund North pretty much had the, the team competition locked up as they do every year. That's just kind of normal. But the individual competition was going to be incredibly close. There's a kid from Owasso who's a junior named Ben Stoller. He had a one-shot lead going into yesterday over an Oklahoma State commit who's a senior at Edmund North named Jordan Wilson. So Jordan Wilson, his junior season, he was robbed of his chance to win a state championship by COVID. The whole season was canceled. So then yesterday, he had to make up a one-shot deficit over the course of 18 holes. So he teed off at a little different time than Stoller. So Stoller was one over through six. Wilson was even through four. So basically, with 14 holes left to play for Wilson, 12 holes left to play for Stoller, they were tied in the state championship uh, at which point the horn sounds everybody goes into the clubhouse because the weather is coming in it was just basically rain it wasn't severe it wasn't warm enough to be severe having any type of tornado threat or anything like that but it rained pretty heavily for probably uh, an hour and a half uh, just east of Tulsa at Forest Ridge but what baffled my mind was at one o'clock one o'clock with seven hours of daylight left and the rain just about to finish up they called it they called it at one. And so then we start, you know, going into a frenzy, trying to figure out whose decision this is and all this stuff. The OSSAA doesn't have anyone on site. So essentially it falls to uh, the director of the tournament there, as well as the people at Forest Ridge. So the responsibility, uh, I think, ultimately falls mostly on the host course because they're the ones who have to determine whether the course is playable. Uh, they determined that it was not playable. So myself, Taylor, and Sam, who, who do the 73rd hole with me, we went across the street. We had some Mexican food. We come back out about an hour later, and it is a perfectly wonderful afternoon in Tulsa, and we're, we're just across the street from Forest Ridge. So we're like, let's drive back over there. So we drive back over there, hop out, and Carson, I'm telling you, it was 245, 250. The course was playable. The course was playable at 245, 250 in the afternoon. Wow. Even if you wanted to give it another hour, 
to drain. You could have given it a full another hour, sent teams out to the range at about 3.30 to start hitting balls. You don't have to worry, be worried about them tearing up the range because the range suffered winter kill, so they were hitting off of mats anyway, so they're not going to be tearing up the range. Go out. They were already playing the ball up, playing lift clean in place in anticipation of the weather, so that would not have been an issue. Guys having balls getting embedded and, and getting mud balls because they were playing lift clean in place anyway. If you have some casual water in the fairways, you can move it. The greens would have been playable. I just somebody jumped the gun in canceling the six A, the final round of the six A state championship, and that is to take nothing away from Owasso's Ben Stoller. He is a deserving state champion. He was leading after thirty six holes for a reason. I interviewed him uh, yesterday. I was following his group. I had several conversations with his mother. They were absolutely wonderful. Could not have been nicer. And he is a deserving state champion. But the fact that Jordan Wilson was robbed of the chance to win a state title in his senior year after COVID took his chance away last year, it's a tough way for it to end for Jordan Wilson. And, uh, you know, haven't heard a a real good explanation as to why it was called off at one o'clock. And I think the part that made it even more frustrating is that the 5A state championship was being played just a few miles down the road in Tulsa at Meadowbrook. And at about 2.30, Meadowbrook resumed play. And the 5A state championship went on just a few miles down the road. So, uh, you know, you you don't want to be too harsh on the people who are put in the position to make that decision because a decision had to be made. But in my opinion, in the opinion of some others that were up there yesterday, it was the wrong decision that was made and it was made too early. Um, So I I don't know. It's just one of those things where uh, adults jump the gun on a decision and and the people who get hurt are the kids. Well, again, I'm, I'm glad the 73rd whole podcast you and Sam and those guys were up there because that's, that's a travesty that these kids didn't get to compete in their, their senior years. Most of them, for a championship. That's just, I don't understand that decision-making every golf tournament anywhere, every, every single time waits it out. That's, that's the whole, the whole idea. You wait till the weather passes, you reevaluate, and then you go from there. And they clearly just, just canceled it and moved on, which did the kids wrong. So that that's a complete travesty, but I'm glad you guys were up there. And again, credit to 73rd whole podcast. You guys have been breaking news and, and shining lights on things that or, ordinarily wouldn't get the attention it deserves. So credit to you guys. Yeah, I appreciate that. We've kind of carved out a niche of covering amateur golf that's not being covered anywhere else and sending out videos of the shots and getting the stories and stuff. So, like I said, we'll be at Karsten next Wednesday for the final round of the regional up there. Looking forward to that and honestly really enjoying all the good golf in this state because the golf is really, really good. And I was having a lot of fun watching Ben Stoller play yesterday. I wanted to continue to watch him play. He's a Kansas State commit. Uh, and then Jordan Wilson's an Oklahoma State commit. So those two guys were going to be going back and forth. And only ended up getting to watch about uh, an hour and a half worth of golf instead of the entire day, the full round. So, but it's a good golf state and we're, we're happy to be covering it. We're having a blast. Yep. The Edmund North pipeline just keeps running into Stillwater. Austin Eckrut's leaving, Jordan Wilson coming in. So that's, uh, that's exciting for sure. Colby, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll get back with you later in the week. Yes, sir. Everybody have a good weekend. Go Pokes.